chapter 4 today. Jesus uh, has been getting more and more of a following. And Mark has already mentioned it a couple times in just these few chapters that we've gotten into the, the gospel of Mark, that Jesus at this point couldn't even go into the major cities or towns because a group would form so quickly. And so he spent most of his time out in uh, the outer areas. But because of this attention, uh, the religious leaders are already very jealous. And again, kind of keep in mind, this is early in Jesus' ministry, at least in Mark's account of Jesus' ministry, and they are already plotting against him. And so the end of chapter 3, Jesus, uh, after doing some amazing miracles and, and displaying his authority before the religious leaders, they accuse him of having this power, having this ability, because he's possessed by the devil. And that that's why demons have to obey him. And he, he gives them a warning. And it's one of those that if you don't understand it, it's a warning. You kind of just blow right by it. But he's warning them that if they blaspheme the Holy Spirit, if, which means that they're ignoring Scripture, they're ignoring Jesus' teaching, they're ignoring the miracles that he's done, and they're ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, this is the Messiah. That choice of unbelief is the unforgivable sin. It's called the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean saying bad things about the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean being angry at the Holy Spirit. It means choosing to not believe the Holy Spirit's message. And Jesus' warning to them is that if they die in that state, if they live their life and they still die in that place of absolute chosen unbelief, there is no hope for them. They are lost. And then from there, as we get into chapter 4, now Jesus will begin to teach using parables. And, and the religious leaders and, and their view of Jesus, I think, is a big part of why Jesus begins to teach in parables. Not the only reason, but I think it's a big factor. Um, because parables are different. Parables are just a simple story. And it can be a true story or it can be a made-up story. It doesn't really matter. The idea is that the story is using understood, common things that everybody knows. And in using that, you're bringing out a deep truth. But a parable requires a little bit of work, right? It isn't taking truth and spoon-feeding it to people. It isn't just like, okay, here's this little tiny truth, and it's as much as you can take right now. Jesus is unloading huge eternal truth on people in these stories. But to get it, you've got to work a little bit. You have to think about what it means. And, uh, and so it's going to require uh, something of the people who hear and the first parable is, is really all we're going to get to today um, here in Mark chapter 4. We're just going to do half the chapter. And i got to tell you, this is my favorite parable. This is, of, of all the parables that Jesus told, this one, every time, just strikes such a deep chord in me. And, and we'll get into it uh, and, and look at it, but I, I tell you, I think this is one of the most important and most powerful parables uh, Jesus gives because it shows the importance of the word of God, that it is foundational. That's what this parable is really all about, and how all of mankind will hear the word of God. So let's pray, and we'll get in to Mark chapter 4. God, we thank you for the power that's in your word. That there, there is nothing wrong with it. It is not flawed. It is perfect. 
We're the problem, Lord. Give us ears to hear you today. Hear your word to receive it deep into our hearts that it would take root and that we would be changed, that we'd bear good fruit in your name and for your kingdom. And uh, we just submit ourselves to you. Pray that you have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And again he began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. And then he taught them many things by parables. And he said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as it happened, he sowed some, or as it happened as he sowed, that some of the seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. And some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increasing and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus goes out by the sea. And this is one of those cool things. I don't know if this was like common knowledge or that Jesus just being God Almighty knew how this worked. But we know now that him being in that boat on the sea and everyone else on the shore, that the way water reflects sound, it's a natural megaphone. And so he could teach this massive crowd and never have to raise his voice at all. And so he begins to teach them and uh, bring this parable to them. And uh, I, I think it's so interesting. Jesus doesn't explain it to the crowd. Right? He tells this parable, and we're going to get the explanation because he, he gives the full rundown to the disciples. But understand, the crowd that was there that day, Jesus just tells the parable that I just read and moves on. Right? And so everyone else is like, what? You know, I mean, you, they are taking it in, they hear it, but he doesn't break it down for them. And, uh, and he's going to explain why uh, as we move on. But again, the, one of the important things about Jesus' parable is that he's taking common things that everybody knows and, and putting deep truth within it. And in this case, the idea of a farmer uh, and the way they would plant, everybody knew. Again, in that society, it was so common to see somebody scattering seed in their field, and you just knew how it worked, even if you weren't a farmer, even if you were somebody that worked in town or whatever you did. Um, it was something that everybody got. Uh, but it was very different than the way we do it now. And I think, first of all, not a lot of people understand how farming works. I mean, if you didn't grow up on a farm or around a farm, vague idea. But when you have actually grown up, you get... This makes so much sense. Maybe it's one of the reasons it's my favorite parable. It's because I'm like, oh, I, I've done that. I've picked rocks out of a field a lot. Um, and, uh, and so the way that they would do it, or I guess I should start the way that we do it now, is that, first of all, you till the ground. 
and you cut it into rows, right? And then very carefully, whether it's by hand or with a machine, you plant at the proper distance. That is not how it was done back in the day. That first they would go in and they'd scatter seed everywhere. Hopefully it was like a windy day, so it just like broadcasted it. And then they'd plow the field. And that way it kind of got turned, and they understood that only a certain percentage of it would be at the right depth to grow, but it's, it's how they did it. And he describes the four most common soils around a field. And these are still the same. It doesn't matter. All the way back then and, and today, around any field where you're planting a crop, these are the things that you're dealing with. So the first is the wayside. Um, that's simply a path. This is the path that the people walk, the animals walk, the farmer walks, that everyone walks on. Uh, it's interesting because usually the path, the reason it was chosen is because it was good soil to start with. It was easy walking. Right? You're not climbing over rocks. You're not going over, you know, weeds. And it was clear, and so it was good soil. But it's been trampled into hard ground. The second is the stony ground or the stony places. Uh, these are places that are almost all rock. There's some dirt, but they were never good soil. They're, they're unusable for the most part. The third is among the thorns, and this is usually on the edges of a field. These are the, the blackberry bushes, weeds, anything like that, that it's constantly trying to encroach on the field. It was good soil, and that's why the weeds are growing there, but it is a constant problem. It's good soil that's been overrun. And then finally the good soil. This is the dirt that's at the, it's got the right depth. It's got the right minerals and nutrients. It's got the right drainage. It's got everything is working for it. And if you did grow up on a farm or you've been around it, you know that that soil is rare. It's super valuable. It doesn't just happen. It's made. And then after that, it's maintained constantly. Or it will become one of the other three, right? So those are things just for us to keep in mind in this parable. Again, we're not going to break down the whole thing because Jesus is going to do that in just a little bit. But um, for us to have a, a handle on what these things are, again, Jesus would use common things. And he's not going to use all of these in these parables here. But in Matthew and the other Gospels, we see him use things like planting harvesting, even baking bread, right? Super common things that everybody understood. And then giving it this deep truth. But these are not complicated truths. And again, I think that's important because sometimes when we see deep truth, it's super complicated. And, and I think part of that is the way that we as people love to overcomplicate things. And so if, if I can make something super complicated, then you have to come to me to get it. I, I become the dispenser of truth, right? Because I'm the only one that gets it. But if a, a truth that's deep and simple, not only can anybody get it, they can pass it on to others. And, and again, this is part of what a parable does, is that it gives you this deep truth, and when you get it, when it becomes yours, you understand it, it's easy for you to hand that off to somebody else. So it's not that Jesus is somehow taking these super deep, complicated things that the common person can't understand and then trying to bring it down to their level. He's just going, look, here's something you know, and here's the deep truth that's within it, right? Now, as he does that, 
the parable itself becomes like a dividing line. He's got this huge crowd there. Some of them really want to hear Jesus. Probably a good number of them. Some of them are on the fence. They're not quite sure who this guy is or what he's saying, what he's about. And then you've got the religious leaders who are there to be critical. And so by telling a parable, everybody gets what they came for. A person that's there going, I want to understand the truth that Jesus has. Are they going to get it? They're going to dig a little bit, right? They're, they're more concerned with truth than they are with their own opinions. Right? And I think that's, that's something that for us to realize and understand. A person that really desires truth, their opinions get pushed to the side. That when we're really wanting the truth of God, my opinion doesn't really, shouldn't really factor in. Because I'm wrong about a lot of things. And my opinion, my emotions, all of those things can lead me astray very quickly. And so when I push them to the side, and I'm just like, I just want to know what's true. Well, then the parable can come alive. Then I can hear it. Then I can receive it. And again, it, it's, it's something that I, I believe that true seekers of truth do. Man, they hear stuff. They wrestle with it. They talk to other people who are like-minded and bounce it off them. And they discuss it. And, and, and they come to this place where that truth is theirs. Now, contrast to that are those... Again, the example, I think, is the religious leaders, but I think it can look a lot of different ways. That they are more interested in their feelings and their opinions than they are with truth. I want truth that aligns with how my opinion is. And if it does, I'll accept it. And if it doesn't, I dismiss it. But my feelings, my opinions are above all, and so it's got to fit in for me to even consider it, right? This is the religious leaders in Jesus' day. They've already decided Jesus is not the Messiah, and so they're only looking for things that can back up that opinion, that idea. And if it doesn't, they dismiss it. And again, that's just the example there in that, that day. I think it looks a lot of different ways today. That If we're confronted with truth that we don't like to hear, that hurts, that it makes us uncomfortable... How do we respond, right? Do we dismiss it, or do we begin to wrestle with it? These are the people that love to teach. They love to tell other people how it goes and what they should do, but they will not be taught. There is no humility or a very huge lack of humility. And again, in this crowd, you've got both extremes and everybody in between, and so... This parable draws that line. And it, the parable itself, as I said, is about the word of God and how it lands with people, how, what they think of it. And this is, I think, first of all, good for us to understand because when we share the word of God with people, it's still these four types of soil that it lands on. It's still how people will hear it. That I have found that if somebody comes and goes, hey, I really have some questions. I have some things that I'm struggling with and I'm hoping you might have some answers. And be able to get in the word of God with them. You know what? They're going to find what they're looking for. I have no doubt the Lord's going to meet them right where they're at. On the other hand, I just recently had a conversation with somebody that started off like that, saying that, but they had this whole set of stuff that they wanted to tell me, teach me about 
why the Bible can't be trusted, basically, right? Had no interest in hearing a thing. And so again, though the word was shared, they will take away exactly what they want. Jesus, again, is not spoon-feeding truth here. He isn't sitting there to the crowd going, you, know, you guys are too dumb to understand this, so I'm going to really bring it down to your level. He's like, no, if you want truth, it's here for you. And we're going to see how vital, how deep this, or foundational might be a better way to put it, this parable is. So verse 10 goes on. It says, but when he was alone with those around him and with the twelve, they asked him, about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may not see, excuse me, that seeing they may not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the, wor the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on the stony ground, who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves. And so endure only a time afterward when tribulation or persecution arises. For the word's sake, immediately they stumble. And these are the ones sown among the thorns. But they are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And, be and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones on the good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Now, the disciples come to Jesus, and uh, it says, and they ask him about the parable. In Matthew, it gives us a little bit more clarity that they're not just saying, hey, Jesus, what does this parable mean? What they're asking is, uh, that's part of it. But they're also saying, why are you teaching the people in parables? <laughs> so they're not just asking about this specific one. They're like, wait a second. You've got this huge crowd that showed up. You've got this opportunity to, to unload all this truth on them. And you start teaching them in parables. Why are you doing that? That's kind of the idea. And so Jesus' answer to them is that to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And again, think about that for the 12 disciples. And there were others. Mark mentions that there were others there as well that were following Jesus at the time. But um, what a huge honor it was for them to walk with Jesus. To be able to ask him after a teaching, hey, what was that about? Or I didn't get that. Or, or, and, and a lot of times Jesus would give them truth and, and tell them, that he's like, do you understand? They're like, uh-huh. Like, no, they didn't. They didn't get it. You know, they're just like us. They were like, oh, sure, I got all that. You know, yeah. But the ability that they could walk with him. And I think a lot of times, I know for myself, I think about the disciples and I, and I picture a lot of their shortcomings, right? I mean, think about Peter and being so boastful sometimes and, 
and um, just the mistakes that they make and things like that. But it's good to remember that these guys really did care about Jesus. They really did want to know truth. I mean, they've left everything to follow him. It was a big deal. There was no small sacrifice for them. And, And so now they get to hang out with Jesus. They get to see his compassion on people. They get to see his love for people. They get to see his frustration with religious leaders. The idea that they sat around a campfire and, and laughed and sang and, and told jokes and, and all of that stuff just blows me away. To them, it had been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But that, that is not given to everybody. That's part of what this parable is, is telling. See, again, we think that, that every single person is given the exact same information. Not necessarily. The Lord knows their hearts. He knows how they need to hear the truth. So he says that those outside, all things come in parables. If they want the truth, it's there. But they're going to have to dig for it a little bit. And the way that Jesus quotes, or the quote that he makes is from Isaiah chapter 6, and the way that he quotes it is is a summary or an overview of what happens there or what uh, Isaiah is told by God in in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, and it's really easy to misunderstand what Jesus says, because he could almost sound like he's saying, okay, I'm, not, I'm telling you guys, but I'm not telling everybody. And, and what I am telling them, I'm doing it in a way that they'll hear it, but they won't get it. And they'll see it, but they won't be able to perceive it. Because if they did, well, then I'd have to forgive them. That's not what Jesus is saying, right? In Isaiah chapter 6, and that's a powerful chapter. If you haven't read that in a while, there's your assignment for the week. Read Isaiah chapter 6. The beginning of the chapter, Isaiah has this vision of the Lord, high and lifted up. And he sees the angels. And, and, and the glory of the Lord is filling the temple. And, and Isaiah is brought low. And in comparison to seeing God, he realizes how sinful he is, that he's a sinful man among sinful people, that he's a man of unclean lips. And then an angel comes, and he takes a, a coal and puts it to Isaiah's lips and says, see there, I've cleansed you. And and. And so then there's this discussion between God the Father and God the Son. Who shall we send in in our name? Who will go for us? And after Isaiah's had this amazing encounter with the Lord, he goes, here I am, send me. Let me do it. Let me be the one. And so the message that's given to Isaiah is what Jesus quotes. When Isaiah says, yeah, send me, give me your message. He's like, here's the message. Tell Israel, I dare you to hear me. I dare you to see. I dare you to let me forgive your sins. That's the heart behind this message. Not that he's trying to withhold anything. Not that he's saying, no, you don't get the message. I'm not going to let you understand it. He's like, I want you to so bad, but you have chosen to harden your heart. You've chosen to close your ears and close your eyes, and I dare you to see it. So Jesus is, is saying, this is the fulfillment of what Isaiah was told. That the truth is right before them. But they have to choose to see it. And again, that's what all parables do, but especially this one. And, and Jesus tells them how important this is. He really asks them, like, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parable? In other words, this is foundational. This is like all parables are built upon this. And it isn't the idea that 
the picture of seed being scattered is always the word of God, because it's not in every parable. Or that God's the farmer. Well, not always, right? The idea is the way that mankind receives the word of God will be the same in every parable. Every parable will be built upon that foundation. And so a lot of times, that's a good thing for us to know is we read a parable. Sometimes you read a parable, and even when Jesus explains it, you're like, what? Why, why would people act like that? I don't understand their response. Why wouldn't people go to the wedding banquet? This parable explains it. Because that word fell upon the path. Right? So Jesus tells them that this is the fulfillment there of Isaiah chapter 6. And that they need to understand what this parable is about. Because again, it's foundational. How all of mankind will receive the word of God. And again, I love the picture, right? The word of God, there's nothing wrong with it. It's perfect, flawless. So it's not a problem with the seed, and it is scattered in every direction. It goes everywhere. It isn't sowed sparingly. Again, that's a mistake I feel like I have made many times where I'm just like, yeah, that guy looks like the stoning ground. I'm not going to throw any seed that direction. And, and that's not what the parable tells us. It's like, no, it goes everywhere. And when it hits the ground, then they're accountable for it. Our job is to scatter the seed, right? And in this case, it's, it's God himself that's, that's scattering the word of God. And, and it falls among these different types of soil. So first of all is the wayside. Again, it does not receive it. it. The seed does not penetrate. And it could almost sound like the hearer of the word, in this case, didn't have a chance. Right? If you read verse 15, it says, And when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. And we go, well, that doesn't sound fair. That the word of God is sown, and before they even have a chance, all of a sudden, it's just whisked away. But remember, the path is the ground that used to be good ground. It used to be soft. But it has undergone a process of becoming hard. Specifically hardened against the word of God. Specifically hardened against the love of God. And therefore, when it falls, that choice has already been made to some degree to not receive it. The word falls. Again, there's nothing wrong with the seed. But they have hardened themselves. And uh, this is explained, again, a little bit better in Matthew, the way uh, it's presented there. Because I think a lot of times when we think about the hardened person that's like, no, I don't want to hear that. We picture like the criminal. We picture the, the worst sinner we can come up with in our mind. But the way that Jesus actually describes it, he's talking about the religious. He's talking about those who hear the word of God and go, well, that doesn't apply to me. That's for others. That's, that's for sinners. And I, I've sat in many Bible studies where the whole message was for those horrible sinners out there somewhere. And that's exactly what Jesus is describing. The religious that hear the word of God, churches that preach the word of God, but it isn't applying to them. It's for everybody else. So the word is cast and not received out of, out of self-righteousness. Now, when that happens, the enemy comes along, steals it away, 
before it can really be given a second thought. And again, I, I, I think we've all experienced to some degree that you can hear the word sometimes and you're like, man, that was so good. That's great. But then tomorrow you're like, what was that about? Right? It's just gone. And, and I think part of that is just our fallen human nature and our lazy streak that we all have. But I also believe the enemy comes along with distractions going, hey, you don't need to worry about that. How about this over here? Look, something shiny. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> and off we go. And I think that is very much how he works in the world itself. Whether we're talking about the, the worst sinner or the super self-righteous, before that word can be drawn in, and like, you know what, that might just apply to my life. It's whisked away by the distractions. And the next verse 16, the stoning ground. This is the one who hears the word of God, and they receive it with joy. They receive it with gladness. Uh, and it sounds like they take it in. Right? It sounds like they hear it, oh, yeah, that's, that's for me, that's great. Um, the problem is, is that this is the person that they love church stuff. They love church people. They love talking about church. They love being a part of that community. They love Christianity, kind of Christianese talk. They like checking it off the list. Oh, yeah, I went to church th this weekend. And they let other people know. They go to work. Oh, I couldn't have done that on Sunday because I was at church. Check, you know. The problem is, is while they love everything that surrounds church, it's not a love for the Word of God. The Word of God becomes something that's offensive, makes them uncomfortable. That's why so many, and again, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but I, we, we all see it, that there, there are churches that are more about motivational speaking than they are about teaching the Word of God. Because people love to be motivated, right? And you come in and you can, oh, you can do anything, and you're the best, and you're the greatest, and nothing can stop you. Get out there and live life. And they're like, yay. Well, that's not what my Bible says. <laughs> you know, it's like, you're horrible. You're a sinner. You're going to hell. You know, oh, you know, people don't want to hear that. But it's the truth that we need to hear, right? It, it needs to be uncomfortable. It needs to bring conviction. It needs to bring change in our lives. And if, if we're not wanting to be changed, then yeah, we're just basically finding the community that's going to make us feel motivated. You can go to a gym, do that, you know. And again, this looks great. And then from the outside, this person looks so fired up. Man, they're just like, give me a J, give me an E. They're just like super fired, you know. Everyone's like, wow, I wish I had that kind of excitement. But then what happens? Trial comes into their life, and they're just gone. Why? Because they loved all the stuff that surrounded it. They, they, they loved the motivation. But the word had taken no root. And so when the sun came out, persecution fell, difficulty fell, they had not been raised up in a way to seek the Lord in those times. I've heard this described as cruise ship Christianity. I just think that's a great description right on a cruise ship man what do you want all the food you want drinks got the pool anything going all these great places cruise ship the problem is is that that is not what we're called to we are much more called to battleship christianity everybody has a job everybody serves a purpose 
everyone is important and we work together serving one another rather than being served for a greater purpose. But this is the, this is the one on the stony ground that has been raised up in cruise ship Christianity. Next is the one among the thorns. Uh, this is the one, it, I think, more than the others even, this one breaks my heart. Because I've, I've been this guy, I've known this guy. And I believe that this describes somebody who is saved, but they are just struggling over and over for years and years. They hear the word of God, and they receive it. It takes root. It starts to grow. But it never bears fruit because it is choked out. And the idea of being choked out is the idea that when a weed grows next to a, a stalk of wheat or some other plant you want to grow, its, its roots grow faster, and it takes all the nutrients away from the plant you want until eventually it'll kill it. I think probably the most aggressive was like a monstera, right? Monstera will take down a whole tree eventually. They just dig in and they just take everything away from it. It's kind of the same idea. Not that that's what Jesus had in mind, but that's what I think of. So, um, and there's a couple things that Jesus points to of, of what chokes out the word of God. Again, not that the word of God is weak. Not that the word of God can't handle these things. The idea is the word of God has landed in their hearts, and because they allow these things in, the word of God seems small to them. It seems to lack power to them. And so therefore, they begin to look to everything else. The first thing he says in verse 19 are the cares of this world. Now, uh, literally, we would translate that probably in our modern uh language as the stress of this world so it isn't just like caring about stuff or liking things it's the stress of life that it's the things that we look at and go yeah but what if this happens or what if that happens how are we going to deal with that what, what's that going to do to my world my life my my career and so not even things that are happening it's the what ifs it's the cares of those things and the fears of them, it's the things that keep us up at night, but don't actually exist yet. It's only that they could possibly exist someday. And it feeds right into the second thing that he says, because very often with those fears, with those things that we're concerned about, no matter what they are, how often is the answer is, if I just had more money, I wouldn't have to worry about it. If I could just make a little bit more, I wouldn't have to worry. About it. If I get a little bit more in savings, that way if it happened, I'd be set, Right? The deceitfulness of riches. And, and, and don't misunderstand, Jesus isn't saying this is just for the rich people to be concerned about the deceitfulness of riches. We don't need money to love it or be deceived by it. We can be flat broke and think it is the answer to all of our problems. And that is the deceitfulness of riches in itself. Because it's not going to solve our problems. And it can go away tomorrow too. And then the third thing, and this one's a real wide general term, the desire for other things. And again, he's not saying having things you enjoy, having things you like. I have known people that have taken to that extreme. I remember, <laughs> such a weird thing, having this lady get on my case because I was talking about how much I love snowboarding. 
And, and she was like, well, I bet you could spend that money in a better way to serve the Lord. And I'm like, a lift ticket's not that much. <laughs> but she was so upset that I was doing something I enjoyed and that somehow that was a, a sign of immaturity. And I've got plenty of those for sure. But, <laughs> but the, I, that is not what Jesus is saying here, that you just desire things or that you want to do things that are enjoyable. That's not it at all. The idea is that you desire things that you know you're not supposed to have. You desire things that aren't yours. Or you desire something that God might give you, but you want it now. Right? It's the desire for anything that would be outside of the will of God. These are the things that choke out the word of God in our lives and in our hearts. And there are people that live their whole life, though they might be saved, constantly choked out by fear of what could happen, and by if only they had more money, and if I just could have these things, then I'd be happy. And as a result, they're miserable about everything, and their life does not bear any fruit. And then finally, we have the good soil. These are those who hear the word and accept it. I love how beautifully simple that is, right? I mean, with all the things that Jesus has been talking about, and again, we've kind of broken them down and what they meant and, and certainly how people understood it in that day. But he finally comes to the one, and you think, okay, here's the pinnacle. Here's the one that everybody wants to be. We all want to be the good soil, so there must be like a 10-point program or something you've got to go through in order to achieve this. And Jesus goes, hear the word and accept it. That's it. You want to be the good soil. Be in a place where you can hear the word. And when you hear it, accept it. And I think it's fine to, to argue with God a little bit. I think it's healthy for us, right? And a lot of times we're going, oh, we'll just hear it and we're just going to believe it no matter what. I actually think he likes to wrestle with us a little bit. I mean, Jacob and him had it out. Jacob lost, of course. I've never won. I've always lost. But there's something great about wrestling with the truth. There's something great about taking, hearing something from the word of God and going, okay, you said this is true, but I don't really get that. And, and just wrestling it out, getting in the word, talking with other people, listening to what the Holy Spirit is telling you as you work through these things. I think that's so healthy for us because like Jacob, when we're done, we're changed. <laughs> Our walk will never be the same. We will be different people than we were when, before that wrestling match began. And we're going to know. He is God, and we are not. And I think it's one of the best things we can do is to, to wrestle with those truths. But in the end, it comes down to accepting it. And again, that's where faith comes in. That we get to a point, you can wrestle as long as you want. At some point, you're just going to have to go, you win. Okay. <laughs> In a place to receive the word, accepting of it, man. I know that every time I read through this parable, I start to think of people I have known in my life, and I'm like, yep, that was the hard soil. That was the one choked out by the thorns. That was, you know. And, but I think it's also important that we remember we are all four of these. 
that in our hearts, all four of these soils still exist. And there are times we hear the word of God and it sinks down deep into some, in a good place, in the good soil, and takes root, and we are changed. And we're like, man, I want more of that. But I also know there's times that I hear it and it hits the hard ground and it just isn't received. And that can be discouraging. We're going, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just be the good soil all the time? Again, it, it's a process. And this is the process that Jesus is pointing to. Again, good soil doesn't simply exist. It's created. And all the times I'm working on my uncle's ranch, there was never a place where we we're like, you know what? We don't have to do anything to that ground over there. There was always something that had to be done. It had to be tilled, it had to have the rocks removed, and how rocks show up over and over every year after year. When I was in Ireland, and Central Oregon is the same, there's like these kind of cool rock walls everywhere. And I remember when we were growing up in Central Oregon, somebody's like, hey, that's so cool that all the farmers just built those rock walls. <laughs> no, it's that they didn't want to haul them off somewhere else. They're like, I'm putting it right here, you know. And you just make a line around the entire field because you got to do something with them. And next year, they're all back. They just creep up out of the ground. Good soil has to be made. And this is the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. He's not just looking at us going, well, come on, be the good soil. He's going, I want to make you into good soil. He knows how to till up the hard parts of our hearts. He knows how to pull the rocks out and deal with the thorns that have been taking over. Our only job is to hear and accept. Let him have his way. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, again, we are so grateful for your patience with us that you are willing to do all the work to make us into good soil, that we would not only be fruitful, but that we would multiply and hand out the truth that you've given to us, to everyone around us. The word that's been scattered into our lives would grow that we might scatter it into the lives of everyone we're around. God, do your work, have your way, and cause us to grow and be the good soil. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.